0: listening to the Transformations with Jane podcast. I'm your host, Jane Nakata, a New Zealander living her best life in Fukushima, Japan. I'm a podcast consultant and the creator of Pod Launch with Jane, a system that helps you create your dream podcast without all the drama and hassle, leaving you more free time to do the things you love to do. This show is for people who want to hear stories of women who are doing amazing things here in Japan and across the world. You'll find loads of inspiration for how you can live your best life wherever you are. I'm glad you're here. Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Transformations with Jane podcast. I'm your host, Jane Nakata, coming to you from Fukushima here in Japan. Well, isn't October going well so far? It's so cool now (laughs) I think I'm struggling to adjust back to the cool weather just at the moment but I'm kind of happy that I get to pull out all my warm woolly gear and my lovely merino warm hats and scarves and gloves from Jackie at North South Stewart really looking forward to wearing those again if you are needing warm socks and gloves and hats go and check out her online store she's got some really beautiful well-chosen items there Can't wait to put those on again. So today, my guest is Heidi. Now, Heidi is a trans creator, which is a translator, but also someone who, yeah, has the end user in mind when they are translating. And so she discusses a little bit about this and how it's a little bit different from just translating, but how it can also be a little bit (laughs) subjective as to... What exactly a translator does as opposed to a trans creator anyway there's definitely value in what she does and it's very interesting to hear her talk about her realizations about how to go about trying to get paid for the value that you are bringing to people which potentially other people don't see and i know a lot of us especially if you're living in japan You get asked to translate stuff all the time. What does this say? It could be just as casual as, What does this say? Or it could be like, Oh, I'm making this pamphlet. Could you make sure the English is correct? And you get given this thing and you're like, Oh my God, what are you trying to say here? And I remember one incident, I was asked to check the English translation that had been done by some agency and they had translated not very well. Obviously, it hadn't been done by a native English speaker. And so I then edited it so that it would be understandable to people speaking English, and they were saying, but that doesn't say the same thing as the original, and I'm like, that's because the original has things in it that English speakers completely wouldn't understand, so you have to make it understandable, otherwise you've just got a pamphlet for Japanese English speakers. (laughs) So yeah, it's a really, really tricky sort of situation that we sometimes find ourselves in when we get given these assignments uh, here in Japan to, yeah, just do some translating or help out with something like that. I know we've all been there, right? So yeah, it's really interesting to hear Heidi's story, how she came to Japan how she ended up working for Oriental Land Company, which is the company that uh, runs the Disney Resort. Yeah, so exciting. And also uh, how she came to be where she is now. So yeah, let's get on with the show. Hi, Heidi, and welcome to the Transformations with Jane podcast. It's great to have you on the show today. Hi, Jane. Thank you
1: for having me.
0: So Heidi, please introduce yourself to all of our listeners who don't know who you are. Please tell us where you are right now and what's your connection with Japan and what do you do? So I'm
1: Heidi Greeno. My job is a bit of a mouthful. I'm a Japanese-English Transcreation Specialist mm. working with Content Marketing Translation. I'll talk a little bit more about that <laughs> later. I was in Japan until April this year. I lived in Japan for 23 years, wow. which is more than half my life. But currently I'm in the Northeast of England, literally at my parents' house. We can talk <laughs> about that. <laughs>
0: Very good. So yeah, what brought you to Japan back in the day, 23 years ago?
1: It's a bit of a different one, I think, to a lot of people, especially people in translation. I was in the UK at the time. I wasn't really doing anything. I'd finished high school and I was working at a casino. And due to a couple of things that had happened at high school, I was still working on my studies to go to university. So I was working at the casino at night and going to college during the day. And then I met my now husband and he's Japanese. He was studying at the graduate school in the same city where I was working and we started dating. And when his studies finished and he had to go back to Japan because I wasn't really doing anything, I thought, yeah, sure, I'll I'll come with you and uh, see, Take along. see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the understanding was that if I went to Japan, I could get a job um, as an English teacher. So this was in 98 and you had Nova and you had... All of those English language schools. Yeah,
0: the big chain schools, yes.
1: Exactly. Who were recruiting people Mm. who had, well, who were were native English speakers, basically. Mm. But when I got to Japan, I realized not having a degree made me totally unemployable. Even if we were to get married, which we weren't ready to do right then because we were dating, having a spouse visa wouldn't give me a job either. So I had two options. Either go back to the UK, get a degree, and then come back to Japan, or see if I could find a university in Japan that would accept me with the qualifications that I had and I'd try my luck there. So I chose the latter and I went to ICU which is in Tokyo Mm -hmm. and uh, ICU is a really interesting university in that they have two um, entry periods. So they have one in April which is for uh, students going through the Japanese education system Mm -hmm. and they tend to do A fairly intensive English course to prepare them for in the first year to prepare them for their next three years study. And then people ending entering in September, like me, we do an intensive Japanese course, depending on your level. So my level was absolutely zero at that point. So I did my, the first year and a half of my degree was literally just studying Japanese, like all the time. That was all I did. And then after that, you begin to study your major subjects and then the classes are taught in Japanese or English or a mix of both, depending on the teacher. It doesn't matter what the subject is. So I actually studied Western art in Japanese and Asian art in English. So it was like, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was very, it's a very unusual university. And then while I was there, I obviously had to pay for my tuition. So I had a couple of part-time jobs and one of them was transcribing lyrics for CDs. I don't know if you've ever bought a CD in Japan. <laughs> no, no, right? Well, well, probably not in the last 10 years. It'll no, come no, no. Yeah, But series in Japan, probably to do with the karaoke culture, but I don't have any evidence to prove this, come with a booklet which includes the English lyrics, a translation of the lyrics, and usually a bit of a blurb, which we call the liner notes. Mm-hmm. And back in the day, before the internet, a lot of these uh, re- albums needed to have somebody to transcribe the lyrics because artists generally didn't uh, provide the lyrics of their uh, songs when they produce an album some do some are very feel that reading the lyrics is a big part of experiencing the album but a lot of artists naturally want you to hear the music not no. read it so that was a very weird job that I started <laughs> but while I was while I was doing that the person I was working with he asked me if I wouldn't mind chucking in a couple of Japanese translations. So because lyrics are a little bit difficult to understand at times, even if you understand English, it's hard to understand what they're saying or the meaning because they can be a little bit abstract. So he asked me to do what we call a shteyaku, which I guess you could say is like a a draft translation. Mm -hmm. And all I would do is I would transcribe the English lyric and then I would write that in Japanese and then send that to him and then he would edit it. And then that job, kind of, when I left university, that developed into a full-time thing, which led to other things. And then, yeah, to a sports later, I was still there. Yeah. So I started transcribing and then I segued into the English to Japanese translation by providing this uh, shiteyaku, so like an interpretive translation of the lyrics, And that started as a part-time job, but when I left university in Japan, and this might be my personality or it might be just the era, I graduated in 2002, 2003. I was fully bilingual. I had a degree from one of the best universities in Japan. I could not find anyone to give me a job. (laughs) And I did try, I went to all of these recruitment things, a I handed out my you know, resume. I did what all the Japanese students around me were doing. And I just could not find a job. I was married at the time. Goodness. I entered university a little older than other students. So I was like, you know, ancient at like 22, 23. <laughs> Whereas the other students were, I think, like 21 or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, you don't really know the reasons why, but I just couldn't find a job. So I decided to just expand what I was doing with the guy that I was doing this Japanese lyrics thing for and I said do you want to make this into like a business like a full-time thing so then I just started doing more of the same so I do like more trans uh, transcribing but as time went on that became less and less because the internet was doing that for me people love to write down lyrics of their favorite artists and then english to japanese translation i was doing a lot more of that and then there was other things like interviewing art putting together um, articles doing research and things like that so it was a it was a huge variety of work which wasn't just translation but it was pretty translation heavy and then yeah i i continued doing that for a couple of years and then i started working at Tokyo Disney Resort, and then I did that. We can talk about that if you like. Mm. And then I left there, went freelance, and yeah, I mean that was a very sorry that was very long. That was my Japan story. So basically,
0: I <laughs> fell in love. Yeah, you fell something. in love. Came I to Japan. Yeah, yeah that you took me. a huge like leap into, like you know, you just you had no degree. You just said right, I'm just going to give this a crack. You got to Japan, and then went and found your way into a university. That's amazing that you did Mm -hmm. that. Managed to to graduate bilingual. Wow, gosh, that must have been a really hard-out few years for you to go from zero Japanese to being, you know, so good at Japanese in such a short time.
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, whenever I meet somebody who speaks Japanese and they've self-studied, I'm in total awe because I could never do that. I mean, the only reason I have my Japanese ability is because my teachers were so tough <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm a swat at heart as well so I do like studying you and like, I do like study. things, right and I like people saying oh you're doing really yeah. well so for me that kind of disciplined study at university was really important and I would never ever have been able to it was intense it was really intense mm-hmm. studying that like it yeah but uh, but yeah I mean I'm grateful because now I have the job yeah. I have because have I, because yeah. I did that Yeah, yeah
0: So, of course, I'm very interested to hear more about working (laughs) for the Tokyo Disney Resort. And so you actually worked at the Oriental Land Company, right? We have to say that. But that was a part of the Disney Resort. Is that right? Tell us about that.
1: Sure. Yeah. So Oriental Land Company, they own the land. And I think the infrastructure of which Tokyo Disney Resort is built on, and they hire the majority of the employees, they license the Disney brand from Disney. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the majority of people working at Tokyo Disney Resort are employed by Oriental Land. So that's the distinction there. Mm. So I was working with this guy for about 16 years and I've actually written about this on LinkedIn, but I got to the point where I just felt that translating into Japanese, which is the majority of what I was doing at that time, was i just reached my limit with it. I, I felt that right-handed and I felt that I'd been like writing with my left hand for 16 years and I was really good at it. You know, I, I, I definitely sure. could do it. Right, but ahead. if you gave me a pencil in my right hand, I could catch up within like a month and it just felt so much more natural. So translating into Japanese, it just got to this point where I... I felt I didn't really want to invest the time required to get my Japanese to the level where it wouldn't require editing by a native Japanese speaker. And I know a lot of people can do that, but it just wasn't really in my heart. So I was looking around for other jobs. It also came at the time when my youngest started elementary school. (laughs) So I had two children in full-time education then. I had a Mm -hmm. bit more time on my hand and I was, how old was I then? maybe 38 so I thought I still got I've got enough time to start another career if that's Mm. what I want to do Mm. and I was looking around and I found this oriental land were advertising for a translator slash copywriter at Tokyo Disney Resort Mm -hmm. and at the time I lived about 30 minutes outside so I was really close it was commutable and I thought yeah sure why not (laughs) I'm giving a go so, I sent in my resume and uh, yeah, they decided to hire me, which was like absolutely amazing. And I have to say, Jane, I absolutely loved that job. It was my dream job and I was I like it.
0: Yeah. Without I see your face lighting up here. Yeah. <laughs> You're talking about it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a really good fit for me because, of course, I spoke Japanese. So, that was an advantage because the majority of the employees are Japanese. Yeah. But, I also an English literature major and I do a lot of writing in my spare time. So I knew how, even though I'd never studied formally as a copywriter, it didn't kind of take me long to get an idea of what it was that they wanted, what it was that I needed to do. So until that point, the majority of my work had been translating into Japanese. But I think because of all the lyrics I listened to and read and had to <laughs> interpret, that I kind of like I know I'd absorbed it or something so yeah. that when it came to coming up with phrases or words it was it was not that difficult for me to do sure. that. So the work I did at Tokyo Disney Resort was twofold. They have a multilingual in-house language team there who are responsible for the majority of translations for guests who are coming from overseas. So I'm talking about the guide map the websites, Which anything. I have used
0: do. recently? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, map website, yeah. I, the it, website,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the website is the website's constantly being updated. So that yeah. that was actually one of the one of the biggest jobs that we had. So that that job was really interesting because you can't get creative with that in the same sense that you can with other things because there has to be consistency across all of the languages. And then if English or Chinese or Korean decides to interpret this information in a different way. When that information is updated, the Japanese project manager doesn't really know which section they have to change in the other language. So it was really important that all across the languages, we kept as close to the Japanese as possible while also keeping it natural, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So that was just a very interesting way to work for me. And I I learned a lot from that. And the other part of the job, which I loved the most, was the copywriting aspect. And that would be working with other departments within Oriental land. So merchandising or food or entertainment or events and helping them to come up with the English name all the things that they were organizing. Okay. So an event title or one of the things that I really, really enjoyed was the the graphic. So when they have word graphics on merchandise or on certain temporary structures within mm-hmm. Park, me and the team I worked for, so I worked in a team of three people, we would help them come up with ways that they could say in English or ideas and it was really exciting. And it was really interesting. I can't really talk about anything specific because of yeah. it's not really mine. And also as a, as a team, I couldn't really say I did that or mm-hmm. I did that because it's, it's something, it's a collaborative effort, right? Mm. But there was one project that I worked on before I left. And I left in 2020 March, which, if you can remember back, was right in the middle of COVID, the first yes, COVID pandemic.
0: Was, yeah
1: right but i wasn't leaving because of that i was leaving because of something else and it just happened that that was what was happening so Mm. all of the projects that i'd been working on and that were getting ready to go out into the park had to come to a standstill and there was one that i'd been involved in for about six months and i'd been involved quite from the get-go so even though i wasn't part of the project officially I'd been allowed to contribute to the story behind this item that they were putting into the park. I'd been involved with negotiations with Disney. I really felt that this particular project and this product was something that I had helped to bring into the park. I didn't actually get to see it in there because it it wasn't until the next year or the year after that it was finally, you know, released. Okay, But that experience kind of made me realize that even though I was really, really sad to be leaving Mm. my team and to be leaving that job, that um, it wasn't really what I wanted to do anymore. I wasn't content to just get an assignment and be asked to translate it and then you know it just goes out into the into the void i wanted to be more involved at a different level where i could kind of change the content that i was translating or talk about you know marketing values or talk about the target or mm. even you know thinking about the story so even though I was really sad and I was literally bawling my eyes out on my last day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say anything because, yeah, I was upset. At the same time, I I felt that I'd done everything I wanted to do there. And yeah, I mean, I left and I still chat with my colleagues. I still meet up and now they have a really amazing team there mm-hmm. who is uh, working. I think, um, yeah, they're doing a really great job. So, And younger than me, which I don't want to be ageist, but I think it's really important that, you know, you kind of. Pass up these great opportunities to somebody else who has just started out in it. Career.
0: You yeah. can't hang on to these things forever and not give Definitely. other people a chance to come through. And then you get and, like you said, you seem to evolve out of that position, right? It, even though it was the dream job and you loved it, you you loved being there. You wanted something else after a yeah. while, and it was time to move on, so yeah, 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 I agree with that, yeah, and how great that you could leave that legacy that to to let somebody else come up and take your place as well, to give yeah, an opportunity yeah. to a heidi <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> another Heidi to come along, right,
1: yeah, yeah that's yeah.
0: great, so then mm-hmm. you decided to start your own thing, yeah eventually, so, right
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah, so um. Like I said, nothing to do with COVID and nothing to do with the work environment, but a lot to do with just me personally. I, at the end of 2019, I realized that I was, I was actually quite depressed and looking back now, I think it has to do with living in Japan and my Mm. personality. I think I felt because I was by, well, I wasn't, by that time, I wasn't bilingual because I've been out of university for a long time, mm-hmm. but uh, I would say I'm a adapter, so I'm not really somebody who enjoys conflict. I tend to not want to stand out, and I had for a long time being a part of Japanese society and fitting into a Japanese society, and it hadn't been difficult for me because I spoke Japanese and I went to university in Japan, so... In a way, a lot of my behaviour is and and was influenced by how people behave in Japan, and that's not that's not unnatural for me. Hmm. But it came to the point where I realised that I was kind of adapting myself too much, and. Right. I was feeling as if I I wasn't really who I was and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And even though I had this amazing job and fantastic family, wonderful place to live, loads of friends, both Japanese and non-Japanese, I just felt that I wasn't really happy. I just, I just, I couldn't really pin it down. So I decided that was what kind of drove me. I thought I just it was affect it was actually affecting my children as well in a way that i don't really want to talk about because that's kind of their you know their story but i realized i had to put an end to this i just had to kind of stop working and just gather my thoughts take a step back and mm. just do nothing so from like leaving high school at 17 and then going to japan i hadn't really stopped working or doing anything i hadn't done nothing even when i had kids even when i was pregnant and because I was working from home, I was working within like months of giving birth. So <laughs> yeah. it was just constant, right? And right. as from my story, you can probably tell, I hadn't really made any decisions like, this is what I want to do. It was more, okay, so this is happening. So I'll just do this to continue this happening. It hadn't been a decision to say, this is what I want to do with my life. This is the right. direction I'm going in. So I decided to, I left Disney and I, Originally was just gonna take some time off to focus on my family, but COVID, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't have a I didn't have a job, which was fine because we had loads of savings. But then my husband's job was affected. Mm-hmm. And we were all right in the beginning because we we didn't really have that many outgoings and we were fairly confident that we could find another job. During that time together, We had a lot of chance to talk about the kind of things that I'm talking about now. So like, Mm. is this what we want to do? So do you, you know, to my husband, do do you want to go out and get another nine to six job, which is paying like, you know, a load of money. But all we're doing is we're paying for this apartment that we don't really particularly feel great about. Well, we did like the apartment, but the place that we were living in. We didn't necessarily want to live there, Uh, we were just living there because it was close to Tokyo and for the kids' schools, but the kids were no longer going to those schools. They were on the cusp of going to junior high school and high school, so we didn't necessarily have to stay there. husband wasn't working in Tokyo, he was working somewhere else. So there was nothing about that area that was keeping us there. Right. And so we thought, okay, so where do we want to live? Like, what do we want to do with our lives? Right wow. now? We're not, yeah we, can, yeah, we can make some changes. So he said that he didn't really want to work full time. And that was fine with me. He, he's not particularly somebody who enjoys work. I mean, he's, even though we've both worked since we met, he's the one who's been out doing a full-time job. And I've been like home doing, you know, working from home. So my work environment's been a, a lot less stressful than mm. his has. And he'd had enough, and that was totally fine. I love working. I love my job. So I was totally happy to be working more, Mm -hmm. but I also did not want to be tied down to a full-time job. Like going and working Oriental land, it was very hard for me to (laughs) realize that I only had like, I don't know, 12, 15 paid holidays a year. because i was entering as a new employee and like sure. as you get more holidays yeah so i couldn't i couldn't take as much time off as i wanted to and then i had to they had flexi hours so that was great but just being tied down to somebody else's hours that was like really really hard so we spoke about what we wanted to do and originally we looked at moving somewhere in japan going to one of these Surusato I can't remember what it is now, but there's lots of areas in rural Japan where they want people to come yeah, in. Yeah, so that's yeah. They
0: say do Yeah,
1: that's the one. Yeah. So we the I turn
0: or the the U-turn or the whatever, come yeah, move away from Tokyo, get paid yeah. to move to the countryside, kind of
1: exactly. Thing. Yeah. 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 And I think we were both keen on that. But ultimately it was within Japan. And at that time we were having a lot of difficulties with the school system with our children. And moving to the countryside would not really resolve that because we would Mm -hmm. still be in the same school system as we were where we were, just in a different, a completely different area. Mm -hmm. So that was when we started to look overseas uh, Mm -hmm. and look at the UK. And to make that move, we realized that one of us would have to have a job or an income that could move with us. And then that's when I decided to start going back into freelance work. Mm-hmm. And uh, looking for looking for translation work. So I picked up the job that I was doing before, the lyric transcribing. But I'd kind of, as I said, evolved beyond that. So whereas it was like a nice income source, it wasn't really something that I wanted to do. So I started applying for to translation companies to see if I could, you know, just pick up some work. Mm-hmm. And the reins that they were offering me were were so low that it just would not have been economically viable for me to work with mm. them. It wasn't just that I was like, yeah, I deserve more than that. It was just <laughs> literally like, yeah, I, couldn't, yeah. I couldn't pay for my family. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think it, one of the things that I find with the translation industry and probably with a lot of freelance jobs is the rates don't really change that much, depending on your career, what stage you are in your career or what stage you are in your family or what stage you are in your experience. So I'm getting offered the same as somebody fresh out of university. Someone fresh out of university might be able to make that work because they don't have as many commitments and they're just entering it. And I think that's fine. But for me, it just wasn't, it just wasn't what I wanted. I I took it because I needed work, but I thought I can't, I can't keep working for this amount of money because. We're not going to be able to get by. And that's when I started thinking about what I was doing at Oriental Land and the copywriting. And I decided to go more into that. Do you, do you know what copywriting is? Oh, yeah. Is? Well, yeah? I personally yeah.
0: do, but explain it for, <laughs> for, okay. for everyone else as so, well. Wow. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I mean, copywriting is a term that you see quite a lot around now. So I imagine a lot of people are familiar with it, but it basically, you could say it's writing for a purpose. So, copywriters can be creative copywriters, and they're they're like madmen type people who are writing, you know. The slogans
0: and Mm, just do it. taglines taglines.
1: Yeah, yeah. But copywriters can also be technical, technical copywriters. So writing things which explain things to people, Mm -hmm. you know, you could be writing a manual or it could be a guide on a web, on a website. SEO copywriters who are using search engine optimization. Mm -hmm. And then the copywriting that I was really interested in is conversion copywriting. And conversion means getting people to convert, not to a weird religious cult, but to whatever it is that you want them to do. So whether it's to sign up for a newsletter, to buy a product, to like your brand or, you know, anything like that. Conversion is quite a broad thing, but it's basically using words to get people to do the behavior that you want them Mm -hmm. to do. So it's. It's different to the creative copywriting in that it's very much research driven. Mm -hmm. You need to know your audience. You need to know Mm -hmm. the product. you know, you need to know the market. And I started, I studied that formerly with copy hackers, which is probably one of the most famous conversion. Well, the person who runs copy hackers actually came up with the term conversion copywriting. And (laughs) originally I was thinking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I was thinking of going into that full-time because I felt it would just be easier to make an income overseas doing that. But while I was doing that, I came across transcreation and there are lots, transcreation is a term that a lot of people disagree on what it is. So I'm just going to say what I define it as, as sure. that what it's making. Yeah. yeah. So for me, transcreation is a combination of translation and copywriting. It's, writing with the purpose and the target in mind. And a lot of people think transcreation is creative translation because it deviates from the original source text, but I, I don't really like that because for me, all translation is creative. Every single translation that you do is creative. The difference between transcreation and other translation is simply the what you are thinking about on the end so you mm-hmm. have to think about the target and the way i explain this is if you're a japanese company and you have a japanese website you're going to be targeting japanese customers mm. and if you translate that you're just going to have an english language website which targets japanese customers yes so yes. <laughs> you need yes. to you need yes. to write it in a way that it mm-hmm. that it's going to be interesting to a global audience and that's what Transcreation in marketing, which I do, is mm. is all about. Mm. So, But Transcreation is a bit of a buzzword. So, it's, well, it's been around for 20 years, so I don't know if you can call it a buzzword. <laughs> but within the translation industry, a lot of people think that, well, I just do that anyway. I, I'm creative in my translations. I, I deviate from the source text. I do that all the time. So they feel that there shouldn't be this distinction between Transcreation and translation. But for me after leaving a full-time job with 19 years experience and then being offered the lowest of the low rate Mm. by a translation company, I felt that it was really, really important to distinguish between what they're doing in that agency Mm. and what I can offer. And the term transpiration just kind of helps me differentiate that and helps to, you know, explain to my clients that what I'm doing is a little bit different to you know the fast food type translation that you can get from you know these discount translations. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: So yeah, so now you're running your own. So is it just you working solo at the moment with your trans creation? That's
1: right. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, so I'm freelance. So I'm not incorporated or anything. I am a freelance okay. contractor. Obviously, my husband does a lot in the background. I'm really, really bad at bureaucracy and invoicing and anything to do with like, actually running a business. So <laughs> right. he's my unofficial partner, you could say. Oh, really? But When it comes yeah. to the day-to-day work, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'm the I'm the only person doing that. I've yeah, had, and
0: you also moved to the UK yeah. and all of that, right? So yeah, so, yeah. So, and that's right. Uh, she got to April this year yeah. right you you moved uh-huh. to the uk and how's that going so far being back in your home country after all this time lots of yeah. us listeners here in japan would love to know <laughs> what it's like to move back home and you are yeah. actually as you said at home in your own
1: that's right yeah with yeah. your parents um, at the moment yeah precisely yeah so i moved back in april and that that's 2022 and i came to japan in 98 so that's like nearly 24 years mm. outside of the country and I was never one of those people in Japan who was constantly pining for my sure. country. I was totally comfortable in Japan. It was the country I lived in. It wasn't anything special, but I didn't hate it either. It was no good or that worse than any other country. And I feel a lot about the UK too. I don't, uh, there's things I really love about the UK, but at the same time, I never really wanted to come back. So it was a huge shock for everybody that I decided to move back to the UK because nobody ever thought I would Right, really? and then coming back I guess because I have this business uh, that we're building together I don't have the same issues that a lot of women returning to their home countries would have which is finding a job after yeah. a career I, I don't really have that and I, I'm very fortunate um, that I don't but at the same time I'm self-employed so I has to continue marketing my services to people who are on the other end of the world and mm. i have to change the way i live to make sure that i'm more accommodating to my clients so i get up at half five um mm. and i usually work 6 a.m till about 1 p.m which kind of puts me as close as i can to a japanese time so work-wise it's a little bit tricky um Moving back to the UK, I'm still getting used to it. It's very I'm not because I'm self-employed and I'm living with my parents while our house is is being built, it's not as if I'm interacting with society in the UK. So I'm not having any kind of, you know, it's it's a little bit difficult to explain, but even though I'm in the UK, I'm not really experiencing the UK. It doesn't really feel like I'm I'm bad, you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But my children are at school in UK, and for us, that was one of the main motivators to to come back. And uh, the school system for us and for my kids is a much better fit, so we're glad about that. There's lots of things I miss about Japan. There's lots of things that I find different, but I'm still in that honeymoon period where... Oh, in Japan, they would never do that. But in England, they do this, isn't it? So like, but, them. yeah, but I'm sure like I'm sure, like, in yeah. a couple of years, I'll be like, oh my God, I want to go back to Japan. But yeah, yeah I think mm-hmm. if you were to move, if you were to move back to your home country, and I often talk to people who are a similar age to me and have kind of fallen into their careers in Japan, not because sure. they wanted yeah, to. Yeah, right. And I, I think it's... I was just fortunate that I had that couple of months to take a step back and think about it. But if I hadn't have done that, I, would, I wouldn't I would be in UK. I'd still be in Japan and I'd still be miserable. I'd still be like, you know, undercover, uh, depressed and just getting my So I think it's really important to kind of step back and look at what you're doing and think about if that's what you want to do. And if not, then change it. And people say it's really easy to do that. It's really easy to transport. But I think the point is that it's not easy, but anyone can do it as long as you understand your limits. So I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't become a millionaire, but I could use the skills that I have to try to make them as profitable as possible. And at the same time, lower our expenses, our living expenses. So now I would say we're living on a third A half of the income that we were living in Japan but we just spend less and we just live in a smaller house or you know we don't have any educational fees in England that was another thing we don't have any medical expenses so it was more we want to do this um, so how can we make that happen what changes can we do what what can we afford to lose what can we afford to give up and thinking about it in that way and feeling confident that you can do it. And then if you don't do it, it's probably going to destroy like your whole family Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you Mm will just be really, really miserable. So I I understand how, you know, in in Japan, it can feel very, it can feel very comfortable to just do what you're doing every day and to just get by. And if you're happy with that, then that's great. But I think a lot of people aren't, especially a lot of people who come from a Western culture. Where they've been raised in a culture where they're asked to challenge themselves, then it it can feel as if you're just not doing anything, just nothing is happening. It's all, it's all hunky dory trending all water, kind
0: of. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. so see, uh, it's
0: so right. hard to get off the X, isn't it? If you're you're in a position and you're comfortable and, you know, well, your house isn't burning down. So, yeah. you know, to to almost blow it all up and go somewhere else can seem far, far harder than living with this sort of comfortable, sort of miserable kind of feeling. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. 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 Well, thank you for sharing your feelings, your experience so far with being back for a few months now. What are we in, like mm-hmm. six months in? You're six months in? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah 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 it takes a good six months even just to feel like you're in the country I feel like when you move and you get your yeah. stuff and you're not even in your own home that you're planning to live in yet right that's you're still in transition so that's right yeah. things yeah. to go through still but it's great to hear that you know so far it's working out right it's it's okay yeah. you don't know what's going to happen necessarily but yeah it's okay out there <laughs> it's exactly. okay to yeah. japan
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it's okay and yeah. you can always go back i mean if you you can yeah. that's what we said if if it didn't work out we would just go back and we could find jobs you know in japan yeah, so well, why not good. yeah why not give it a go yeah
0: wow and so what's next then i mean it might be hard to say uh, given the huge <laughs> transition you've just been through but yeah you know, what's you know if i called you up again in three or four years time what would you like to tell me that's happened
1: well, moving back to the UK, one of the things I realized is, as I mentioned earlier, it's quite difficult to market my services to Japanese clients and to find new clients. And the exchange rate makes the fact that all of my income is in yen um, a little bit <laughs> worrying. So at the minute. I'm kind of looking for other opportunities in the UK as well. I'd like to do a little bit of teaching. I run a group on Facebook. Uh, it's a really small group for Japanese to English translators where we, we just, we just hang out and we ask advice and we, we talk about the rates that we're getting. We just have an open discussion without any judgment. And I built that because I. Couldn't find anything like that anywhere else. There are other groups for mm-hmm. translators, but I found them to be very negative. And that right. if you would say, Somebody's offered me this rate, should I take it? And then some old veteran would come in and say, Oh, in my days, we would never accept those kind of peanuts. You simply can't be worth. Uh, Being a very good translator, you should just go back to your day job. And like, it's like just not a very healthy
0: (laughs) answer at all.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I know I shouldn't be getting this rate, but this is all I can get. What would you recommend? So it was nothing like that. So I thought that was like really pointless. Mm. But through that group, I realized I really enjoy doing that. I really enjoy offering advice and helping and mentoring. Yeah, yeah, mentoring. yeah. Yeah. So that would be something that I'd like to explore. I'm currently talking to a university professor about coming in and just doing a quick uh, mm-hmm. webinar about transcreation for his uh, graduate students. So that's something that I'm also interested in. So I think pivoting into that kind of area, not full time, because I mm-hmm. even like,
0: added that to at your it. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. So that would be something that in three to four years time. I would definitely be like, like to be doing a lot more of as well as as well as the translation and the trans creation. That's
0: great. Yeah. It sounds like it's really needed, right? Like people, especially women translators, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. struggle with the whole rate thing and getting, you know, cheap rates, yeah. accepting cheaper rates when they could ask more or or like, I don't know. But yeah, having a place where they can chat about that and say, is this fair? Is this, you know, what would you do? Or Is there another option for me or that sort of thing? Help each other out?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, one of the reasons that I started to up my rates is because originally I was going to have it as a woman-only group. But then I thought, well, okay, we'll give the guys a chance. And, um, And one of the guys who joined the group, he spoke about how he constantly put his rates up. So every six months or Every 12 months, Mm. he would tell his translation agency, this is my rates. Mm -hmm. Some of them would drop off, but the ones that stayed would be paying him more. And then that's how he consistently raised his rates. Mm. And he said, if I don't raise my rates, I, I can't, you know, support my family. And that was a real uh, light bulb moment for me because I realized that men, whether you like it or not, in general. Men are expected and have have been the main breadwinner. So, yeah. especially in Japan, so they that has positives and negatives, right? But one of the negatives is that they feel this pressure to constantly earn money. They don't yeah. care whether or not they're hurting someone's feelings, or people are going to think they're greedy, or you yeah. know yeah. anything like that. Yeah. Whereas women traditionally have not had that kind of responsibility there. So. When I spoke to him I realized that was something that I lacked, this mm-hmm. urgency to earn money. Like I didn't want to offend anybody, I didn't mm. want to ask for more money. It wasn't worth taking the risk. But then it got to the stage where, you know, at one point I was the I was the only person earning in our family, mm. and if they didn't pay me more, we we wouldn't be able to do what we wanted to do. And that urgency really drove me to put my rates up and then having that kind of discussion in the group and being open about what you've potentially you could earn and what Mm. you potentially couldn't earn is just like you said I think it helps especially women not just women I mean they're now in today's society those traditional roles are changing Um, but for somebody my age I think you've been brought up in a family where those traditional roles were still very much in place and the way you approach work I think is is affected very much by that. So yeah, I hope that the group is helping people to be a lot more confident in their negotiations and pricing their services. Yeah.
0: If so, if someone wants to join your group, do how do they get in there? Can they can we share a link? Yep, sure. I will put it in the show notes and then yep. we can just find it there. That'd be great. Well thank yep, you so definitely. much for your time today, Heidi. It's been so great to hear about your journey and your yeah unique journey to Japan how you found your feet after quite a few years later than potentially you were expecting to, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Made a huge change. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I'll be keeping my eye on you to see where you go to next. It's been lovely to connect with you today. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been really nice.
0: Thank you so much to Heidi for coming on the show today, waking up extremely early over there in the UK to talk with me and to share her story about her transformation from arriving in Japan as a university, uh, as a pre-university student, going to university in Japan, and her transformation through all of those different jobs, and finally realizing, taking a step back one day and realizing that it wasn't working anymore. And her family taking that time to just decide what we like to do and being very intentional about their decisions. So that ended up with going to the UK and so far so good. So I'm so pleased to hear that so far it's working out and that's what you can hope for really, isn't it? We don't have much control over what's coming down the line sometimes. And I wish you all the best, Heidi, for the next six months and the next years in the uk and i can't wait to see uh, what happens with the things we talked about at the end of the episode when i asked you heidi about the yeah what you'd like to report back to me in two or three years time that you've achieved so i'm sure it won't take that long i'm sure we're we'll hearing from you very soon that you've done it that would be great so that's all for today thank you so much for listening we'll see you again soon bye